Welcome to episode 125 of the Ninja Mountain Podcast, a podcast for artists and by artists. Ninja Mountain is a loose collective of fantasy sci-fi artists who like to talk about the art and business of freelance illustration. Ninja Mountain is a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. On the panel this week, we have Drew Baker. Hi, I'm Drew at DrewBaker.com. Patrick McAvoy. Megaflowgraphics.com. Patrick McAvoy. Yay. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) He actually started and ended with his name. <laughs> Socar Miles. Socar Miles at goreblimey.com. Socar Miles! <laughs> and I am Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com or under the pseudonym Harvey Wizzleteats. <laughs> Moving right along. I didn't know there was a new .com. .com. <laughs> dot .com. You watch, it's going to do the rounds. Pretty soon, everybody will be saying .com. For a while, I tried to convince everyone to call me Mr. Boos, but nobody did. Mr. Boos? Mr. Boos. Hmm. They were anyway, probably confused. Anyway, before we before we talk about anything useful, I have to tell a story that has nothing to do with anything. Well, can, can, before we do that, can we just say thank that uh, I like to thank people for uh, still joining us over for this ride. It's been pretty busy here in the uh, on the mountain. Yeah, so, you can do that. We've been kind of we've been very slow in getting new episodes out, mostly because I'm just because those, we had to repel the pirate invaders. Pretty much, <laughs> There's no and and, other. and um, evil Lord Bagadix, Dark Lord <laughs> Bagadix, right. and his evil machinations. <laughs> <laughs> you would be just disgusted by what he's besieging our castle with. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say Lord Bag. Our, our listeners, uh, our listeners well. are very creative people. Let them come up with what what, <laughs> what his nefarious scheme and you know looked like. He has interesting arsenal. Please, folks. Yes, uh, in the arsenal. comments, in the, in the comments section of this episode, I do hope you will come up with the pretty plausible things that Dark Lord Bagadex did to slow us down in the production of new episodes. With his dreaded you know, every, every time, every time it's every time it's football season, every time somebody talks to me and I know they're a football fan, just to annoy them, I tell them you can't spell Arsenal without an R. <laughs> and then I'll they you beat do. you to death. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably they probably do. That's that's right. Anyway, yeah. Now now I have to tell the oh. story just to get the digressions out of my system before we begin. All right, so folks, get comfortable. It's get a comfortable. really short story. Cup Last of Joe night, in hand. Bite me. Last <laughs> night I ate toasted cheese right before bed, and I had a dream where. Ricky Gervais was trying to make me go on a new season of An Idiot Abroad with Carl Pilkington, and I was protesting him that I'm not an idiot, and he was yelling, It doesn't matter! It's going to be fucking mental! I hate the way he talks. It's fucking mental! I could just kick him. And I was like, I don't want to be on Idiot Abroad. I don't. I'm not an idiot and I don't like it abroad. Last time I was in India, I caught a parasite. Yeah, I've been I've been watching that. Yeah, that was a digression. (laughs) Wow, it was a horrible dream. I have to say, I've been watching that show. My wife and I, we've been watching it on Netflix, streaming an idiot abroad. And I have to say about Carl is. He's not nearly as much an idiot as the title describes, because he comes up with some rather poignant observations. 
<laughs> yeah, I particularly like his observation about um, about gorillas. They're they're large with the long feet. I think big noses. <laughs> I can't remember what it was he said. He he um and and he he does talk about diarrhea an awful an awful lot. He he appears to. Have, I mean. And and you know last time last I I can feel its pain. I mean last time I caught I was in India I caught this parasite and it made these parasitic cysts in my organs, and it was horrifying. I thought I was going to die, <laughs> but I didn't. Good work. And now I mentioned parasitic cysts, and everybody's now going to be thinking about them. I'm just trying to not summon the visuals. Really? Hey, Jeremy, can you edit that out? <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. That is web. That's that is that is webcast gold right there. Uh, um, could you at least edit out my evil laugh there? I think I might have gone a bit overboard. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just bugging you, Jeremy. I, I know you're not editing this time, so I- <laughs> totally not. <laughs> Welcome to the all-inclusive episode of Ninja Mountain. Smoke him if you got him. Oh crap! That'll be the deli. Hang on. Yeah, but uh, you know, moving right along, because you know we've, uh, we we kind of have to brush the dirt off our shoe, you know, and okay. dust ourselves off, and move on to the actual meat of this episode, which is critique. We've got another critique episode after long last. You know, and um, I I think that's for me. If anyone hears me say anything about a um, a particular piece, just understand that. Um, the only reason I can see it is because I've done it. So, <laughs> so if it goes, I can see a mistake or I perceive to be a mistake, it just means that I've made that mistake. And sometimes I still make that mistake. So, well, I, th- I think we can all pretty much say that. We've, oh, yeah. we've all been around the block in terms of blunders. So uh, we, uh, we know whereof we speak. There we go. Uh, yes, except Drew. Because I don't know if I've ever seen anything bad from Drew. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I was thinking it was because I didn't go around the block. I just built my home in the middle of it. <laughs> so, who should, what should we start with? We had uh, four, no, three? We have A few. time. We have time for several. Yeah, several. We have time for three today. So, who do we want to start with? Do we want to start with. Um, our uh, friend and listener, Veronica Jones. Why not? She provided very, very nicely. She provided a, one of the latest uh, projects for her. It's a, a book cover from uh, Spencer Hill Press, The Zodiac Collector by Laura Diamond. And um, we had, we were looking at this piece and we wanted to come, we came up with a few things that we felt. Well, everyone's going to have at it, but I think everyone... We'll start with uh, Patrick. I think you made an interesting observation. Um, wow, that's a first, but... <laughs> it happens. Thank you. Every once in a while. Well, I, I, can, uh, I can introduce the piece. Now, of course, everyone's going to have links to these pieces available um, on uh, uh, the site. All, all you have to do is... Um, uh, go to the link, and you can play along with us at home. And you'll see that this is a, a cover with uh, a fairy of some sort, uh, and uh, something scary is happening, and they're looking up in the sky. The fairy is hugging a, a girl who appears not to be a fairy, and uh, a bit of a medieval feel. 
my initial thought on this one is that it's very well drawn. The figures are well drawn. Uh, I like the the line weight and the the amount, the relative amount of detail. Uh, for instance, the fairies have. Uh, or, I don't. I assume one's a fairy, one's the other. Whatever. The girls have um, things in their hair, uh, flowers and uh, whatnot. They've they've got nicely drawn dresses. Uh, their their anatomy's good. Their hands are good. So all of this is good stuff. And in the background, there's some uh, architecture. It's okay. Nothing spectacular. And the perspective is more or less there. Uh, you know, again, not not wonderful, but it's not going to kill anybody. So uh, the the overall drawing is is really good. There's a few uh, little problems with the perspective and the background, but but o- overall, it's 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 nice uh, draftsmanship. Now, the problem I have with it in general is that the the rendering is not really all matching. Uh, each other. There's there's various places within this where the rendering is uh, just incongruous to other places, and in some places the rendering is just simply not up to par with the drawing itself. Um, so I could start with the the sky, which has a very photographic look to it. It it may have been photo referenced, and it, it's very very deep and has a lot of. Um, uh, realistic touches to it. Um, and then you move down to the houses, and the houses are done in a very cartoony way. And the two things are just completely at odds with each other when you work your way from the sky down to the houses. And then if you look at the, the details on the houses, you have some signs and flags and things. And those are done with a lot of really sharp detail. Um but they're in the background, so then we get down to the characters, and those sharp details are fighting again with the characters because they're uh, trying to um, get the user's attention um, in a way that they really shouldn't because they're, they're sort of uh, background inconsequential items, but also because the houses themselves are done with a lot less detail than these items that are on top of it. Of them, um, we also have over on the right a little character that looks like it might be important to the story, some sort of hooded uh, woman, um, who again has less sharpness and detail than those signs on the houses. And then finally, we get to the foreground, our main part, our characters, and again, they're really well drawn, and I love the stuff in their hair, and uh, I like. I like all of the details on the drawing, but the the rendering itself is in places very fuzzy, and then in other places again very sharp. And again, these things are at odds with each other, and they're not making for an overall cohesion in the picture. So I could uh, just to point one thing out: the um, the sleeve on the uh, the character on the right, the one with the wings, and she's got a sleeve on her blouse. It's it's just kind of a fuzzy, um, kind of painterly feel to it that um, it has it has way too little definition compared to say the wing, and the wing is done with very sharp 
uh, definition on everything. And you look at those two things together, and it's almost as though you're looking at a camera with some sort of depth of field going on. And, you know, as, as though the, the shirt sleeve was 10 feet closer to you than the wing. And, it, and it's, uh, uh, it, they're just not fitting together in the same picture. And then one last thing I wanted to mention was um, color cohesion. Um, it's nice to have different areas have have their own sort of color mood, but when there's a, a sort of flat areas of color like the uh, the houses are are in these sort of gray purple blue area, and then the characters in front have these very green uh, areas, and and then the the sky is very blue. We get the problem of each thing having sort of local color. Uh, which is to say the color the thing would be if it was in ideal light is is what's showing up here. And uh, we're not having a little bit of the sky's blue in the green dress, and we're not having a little, you know, a little bit of each color here and there. So it seems like each piece was sort of colored on its own. And once again, to bring it back around to those, those things I really hate on the houses, the little signs and things, they all have their own individual local color, and they're not picking up any... Uh, uh, color of the overall atmosphere. You know, they should be pushing to a, a more nondescript blue, if possible. Um, and I think that's it. I think I've co covered everything. So, so in essence, if I were going to take it down to just one little uh, phrase, I'd say really nice drawing and needs work on the rendering. Um, oh, and I didn't even talk about the ground uh, in the oh, background. Yeah. The ground. <laughs> I was wanting to comment on the ground because I thought, in, I thought when I first looked at this picture that they were standing in front of the sea as it engulfed these buildings. And then I realized that couldn't be true because the figure in red is somehow standing on this boiling sea. Yeah, so, so a bit more uh, uh, detail or, or at least... Um, wait, wait, hang on a minute. Believable, I... believable uh, drawing on the ground would, would have been nice. So there we go. Okay, That's it. I've, really I've finished. I, I, think, I think that is a C. I just realized. Mm. If you look on the left, there's mm -hmm. an awning there. You can see that it's got these diagonal stripes. Plus, uh, right behind the character in the cloak, there's another big red sign that would probably be above the windows, you know, uh, showing the name of the business. I... No. I, I, that's, I, yeah, that's a sea. I think I think the creature, the person in the cloak, is uh, floating above it because. I, I think there would be waves. Yeah, um, there, at least along the the building line, if that were to be. The oh sea. yeah. Um, and and there'd be a shore of some kind, or at least some sort of foaming uh, uh, ridge. Even if this that. were Venice, where the canals are up against the buildings, we would see. You should see some interaction of the water. I I think it's ground. Yeah. Like, it's hard to tell because a lot of things aren't really that explicitly spelled out for us here. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I agree with Patrick on most of oh no, everything he said pretty much. Um, like <clears throat> the um, figure in red because the uh, intensity of the hues is the same as the intensity of the hues on the almost the same anyway as the hue, intensity of the hues in the foreground character. Like the red of its dress is 
as intense as the orange of the bustle on the girl on the left. It looks like she's clipped to the mm. fairy's wing instead of standing in the background. Mm. So, you know, you do need the background elements to, to do some more receding into the background for some atmospheric type. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a bit more... Um, I, I think, really, um, you can see that this person is good at observing stuff because, as Patrick said, the drawing is well done. But I think is not so well observed here is the color. Um, like the skin is just sort of default flesh color with grays used to shade in the um, <clears throat> mostly grays used in to shade in the dark areas. Um, and it, it doesn't really read a skin. It looks more like uh, plasticine. And you know the cloth doesn't. Some of the cloth, you know, the cloth of the skirt does fall like cloth and is very nicely done, but the bunched up cloth on the sleeve is not falling like actual cloth. And, you know, the cloth where, where they're hugging, it doesn't crush like cloth. So, so and then mm, it's mostly a painting problem, a drawing problem as such. So it looks like um, more color study and a bit more study of flesh, uh, fabric help here these are really bad french fries <laughs> <coughs> okay well uh that, <coughs> that made a lot of sense who, who wants to take the next crack i mean not that we're all taking crack but. <laughs> uh, i think i think separating the the foreground from the background uh is, is would really help and i think doing that through atmosphere right you uh, so as is my want, I'm doodling over it in Photoshop, and oh, so I, you awesome. Uh, <laughs> I'm superb in most ways. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, we all hate him because he's more generous than us, and he makes us look bad. <laughs> yeah, and, so his, I, and I, his ego is phenomenally big, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> it provides me shade wherever I go. Um, so I think think separating that like with a uh, hazy blue, basically to knock. Everything from the the figures back. Uh, I think Patrick's point about the sleeve was very good. The front sleeve that it really, in my estimation, it needs more structure. I wouldn't call it a rendering issue. I would call it, mm. boy, wouldn't mm. would I call it? I, I think it needs to be pulled and folded and twisted by that arm moving. You know, uh, it might need to be drawn with the same care she drew the faces and the hands, and yeah. then go over it with some rendering. You know, I would agree with do that. It. I mean, with a, with, a, with a piece of cloth like that, uh, it's hard to find it on a modern garment. But, you know, one thing you can do is, um, if, you have, if you want to do a puff sleeve like this, you just get your regular shirt, you push the sleeve up your arm till the wrist is about middle of your bicep, uh, then you kind of fold down the top of the sleeve over it, you take a photograph of that. You can kind of see how a light, puffy sort of a fabric might fold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I, I, Patrick's mentions about the color is good. Some more uh, saturation in the figures in a couple of spots, like some, some skylight reflecting in, in some of the fabric. But mostly I would be concerned with knocking it, knocking the background back. If you put a, a blue haze over it all, then you, mm -hmm. you solve the local color issue. Mm -hmm. uh, you knock back the contrast in the buildings, especially the signs, which are making them leap up and compete with the figures for attention. Uh, you knock the uh, 
the dark hooded fairy back or dark hooded woman back to make her a secondary element. Um, and you let the, the uh, figures in the foreground really come forward. I you know, you know like, actually, yeah. I have a suggestion. I'm sorry to butt in. It yeah. just occurred to me, and I'm going to forget it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it looks like the black-hooded figure in the background is supposed to be really important. Mm-hmm. And I can, so I can see why she'd want to make her stand out here and, and not knock her totally in the background. But, you know, there's, it's going to be hard to come up with a good solution for this based on the composition that's been chosen. Yeah. With these two really arresting, beautifully drawn exquisitely head-adorned characters in the foreground um, that your eye goes to, um, you know, especially once that's knocked back, it's going to be really easy to miss it. I think there's um, a lot of room to solve that with value. I th- no, no, and I have a suggestion. Good which point. Is, okay. I have a suggestion, which is kind of cheesy, but, um, you know, if you want to make this look like it's a lowering, menacing figure... Um, the clouds aren't really doing that much for it right now, so you don't have to draw a literal sky there. You could draw this character's cowl up there with maybe... Well, that'll the, be behind the title, though. So that oh, doesn't, yeah. Yeah. We can't oh, overlook that this is, a, uh, this is a book cover, so we have to kind of marry... This is a book cover. Oh, yeah, okay. we do have to consider that uh, a lot of that will be covered behind trade text and things of that sort. So if you're just drawing the cowl and not the eyes and the facial features, it'll still be there. You can still see it behind the title. It could work. It could work. I mean, it's kind of cheesy in effect, but um, if you want it to seem like a menacing presence over them, then that's one solution you could take. Or you could have um, light up one of the windows back there and put put the figure in the window because anything that's backlit stands out a bit. Well, you know, I would say having you know, certain decisions. Oh, go ahead, I would like to see what happens for the the coloring in Veronica's work if she were to use, say, a, a sepia tone or or a burnt sienna sort of drawing. Uh, she she really depends on her lines, especially the black lines, and I think that deadens her color. I would really like to see what happens if she's using a color for those lines. Even if it's just brown, then it doesn't drop to a black, and it would, uh, I, I think, allow more room for more inquisition. I think with the black lines, she it's too easy to get stuck into almost the burning and dodging aspect of it, of adding black to make it darker and uh, adding white to make it lighter. Uh, I, I do agree that there's a lot uh, more room for color variation in the skin tones. And that's something I would play with here while I'm sketching over it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but one yeah, the, thing... the stuff in the hair is great. The wings are great. Uh... Well, while we're talking about the skin, there's a, a a little thing. We might as well move to something just a touch more advanced, uh, and that's um, difference in texture. There's a lot of nice texturing going on with the uh, uh, the cloth. You know, even though it isn't all. Uh, you know, perfect, you know, there, there's little problems we've mentioned, but there's, you know, textures on the cloth, there's textures on the houses, there's textures in the, in the sky, but the textures on the skin are really incongruous and they look like they're, it's not quite in control because I think um, a young woman especially should have 
very little texture on the skin. And the, the shoulder, for instance, um, it, has, it has a lot of just uh, paint marks on it. I think it's and, supposed to be dirt. I mean, well, I, I, yeah, I don't I mean, know. It's if it's, 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 it smudges on the yeah. face, too. It looks like they're kind of in a perilous situation. They're running. If it's supposed to be dirt, then I take back my comment completely. But if it isn't, I, I would definitely smooth that out a lot more on a I young woman. I didn't think it is dirt either. If it were dirt, I'd say push it even dirt further. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, Make I, it read I, precisely as that and then, you know, sell it. Yeah, yeah I mean, like if it's that's, – that's one thing with drawing. I mean, if you take a photo and there's a bit of dirt, people will immediately know that's dirt because it's a photo – but sometimes in drawings, you have to exaggerate, or it can be a uh, <clears throat> can be a bit ambiguous. Like I read it as dirt, and everyone else didn't. So that's a it's an interesting distinction I've heard uh, defined. Is uh, it, obviously this is digital, but it you know goes from the uh, you know regular painting into digital painting. But there's brush strokes and brush marks, and you usually want brush strokes to be seen and you want brush marks to be hidden because a brush mark is sort of an accidental uh you know leftover from putting it together yeah strokes are great because that you've stroked it and you you have uh, something with personality but then you have accidental marks that you want to get rid of and these to me look like brush marks stroke it some more patrick (laughs) oh i'll stroke it for you Actually, Drew struck him for us right now. I can't, I can't wait to see what he comes up with. Oh, God, Patrick. Well, wow. I, I, don't, I, I guess if I were to weigh in on it, I would say I can see the, you know, the, the real – and I've encountered this before. Um, I had a student that was working diligently – initially was trying to marry a certain graphical – um, or certain graphic types of uh, stylistic concerns with more naturalistic rendering. And I think that's, that's very much a, what would you say? Well, that's very much um, um, what, um, what school my, my brain Leonard is. Hard? Hmm? I think you were thinking of like um, Alphonse, what's his Alphonse name? Alphonse Mucha. Yeah. <laughs> that general. Yeah, I mean. He he's, he does have a wonderful marriage of um, uh, stylized elements and uh, like line, beautiful lines, flowing lines, design, and then some you know very naturalistic painting. And you know there's painters like Klimt who do sort of the same for texture. They have areas of flat texture, you know, spider mixed together with um, here and there some patches of naturalistic rendering. I mean, you you can definitely put the two. Oh God, it's alive. <laughs> anyway, yes, I I can see, and I, I applaud their efforts at uh, at marrying these two um, differing you know approaches to painting. It's it's a challenge to do, and you know how much of this is were decisions. You know how much of what's going on in the background were decisions that she made, and how much of that was weighed in on by the uh, department she was working with. It can be a, it can be a, it's tough. Because we, I, having done a little bit of cover work myself, uh, there is definitely some uh, some back and forth with your design team. You know, they've, especially authors sometimes they really do want to have as much. You know, they want all sorts of things, but they that they see as key to the uh, story to find its way onto the cover. And it can yeah, be tough. Right. Yeah, it can be really tough to try to get all those elements 
in at the same, you know, into the same um, image. Absolutely. I think, um, for instance, those signs in the background. It seems to me that those were things that were made requirements by the publisher or the author. I'm guessing um, those little signs are probably integral to the story. Or some of those like, as, as locations in the story. One of them says pickle. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I, having never read the book, I don't know. But they, they're given such prominence on the cover that it suggests to me that they are key. And, you know, it's sort of a, um, how, how might we have, how might one have, um, you know, looking at level of detail, certainly they could have pushed back further in terms of uh, the hard edges that they're employing and value and saturation of color. There are ways that could have made them less intrusive to the foreground figures. Right. One, one thing I like to do, um, this is probably something I could make a decent comment on because um, it took me a long time to find, uh, I like to include a lot of extraneous detail that has no reason to be there except that I like it. Like, um, I'll draw jewelry all over everything, even stuff that wouldn't wear like a chair. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so one way I figured out to put as much garbage in the background as I want. Oh yeah, if you want to, um, add some little details like that in the background, one thing you can do is surround them with a whole bunch of other detail so that it just reads as, um, as a pattern. Yeah. It reads more as a pattern. And you know, the, 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 um, uh, diligent viewer, the um, viewer who's interested will be rewarded by discovering that this is a pickle and cake and Turkey. It looks like a deli. <laughs> I hope they have better French fries. Yeah. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> This, this deli was total fail. I'm never ordering from them again. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the, um, the engaged observer will still be rewarded with little details like that. But overall, instead of reading as a few things that are sticking right out and slapping you in the face, it reads as um, a large area of fairly constant value and um, a texture on it. And that way you can get away with adding massive amounts, like truly ridiculous amounts of detail without ruining from the focal point. Yeah, I, because I'm looking at that, that, that clearly, I mean, the, the upturned face of the fairy is a center of, folk, a center of interest here, the, the, the couple here. Yeah. And those signs are interfering with that really beautiful headpiece that she's designed there. You know, mm-hmm. I'd have I'd have been tempted to almost move that center building to the right, yeah. and have all those signs off to the right, and then those would just be wouldn't compete at all with that nicely designed character that she's got there. Having all that move to the right, or you know, would have um, probably would have freed up, you know, would have given that nice design pride of place. But um, it's tough, I, I, you know. Like I say, I mean, I've, I've had, I've, I've started experiencing that um, the the challenges of cover art and working with an art department that wants or authors that really want certain things to appear on the cover, as, as they feel it's key. But it's, it can be tough to try to balance that with good design. Yeah, I mean, there's ways around it, like um, you know, burying it in other stuff or putting it. In an area where it's not going to be competing with anything. Oh sure, that'd be that'd be something that a viewer could happen upon later while they're viewing the painting. You know, there's a clear area where they should be looking first, and then their eyes can travel to those other details. Like, um, you know, my work 
I, I, I do a value underpainting because I know how important to me anyway um, value is in drawing the eye and where contrast needs to be um, can be employed. And that's why I would have, uh, for instance, like the top of the left-hand building is becoming, it's merging with the sky. Uh, for, at least on my monitor it is. And, you know, it, it creates this ambiguous space for me. Like pushing... <laughs> Pushing the sky back really helps. And in certain times, things like uh, incidental shapes that maybe you did not intend, like there's a square, a rectangle of clear sky up in the upper left corner. <laughs> yes, my son is weighing in on the topic too. He, he does not like that sky. Yeah, he, so, folks, you wonder why we haven't recorded um, <laughs> as frequently. <laughs> Poor Jeremy. <laughs> Don't worry. If in in a couple of months he will learn to use his words instead, so he'll be calling you names instead of just screaming incoherently. So instead of screaming incoherently, he'll just be saying "Dad, Dad, 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 Dad." You know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> for about five left. minutes straight until I until I look at him. <laughs> you know what my first word was? Gobbity. 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 And I used to say it every day when my mother had her friends over for a cup of tea. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I think what I was my commentary kind of feeds off of what Drew was talking about, and that's how value and saturation of color can be used to really uh, guide the eye to really punch up areas. I mean, I think the contrast is good on the faces. That's what's drawing me there, but. It's also in competition with some of the contrast that's taking place in the background. For instance, that hard edge of the buildings against this light sky, my eye wants to go there, you know, because it's so much higher and it's a, such a high contrast. Your son's first word is going to be like blotter color. Blotter color. Well, I don't know, something that sounds like watercolor. It's going to be something art related. Oh, sure. You, you've always got him clipped to you in front of the easel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, um, he's going to pick up something that can, that's going to sound really silly. Oh, yeah. I guarantee it. I guarantee juxtapose. it. He's going to say ju juxtapose. <laughs> and what's scarier is he'll probably know what it means, too. He'll start talking about iconography with his little preschool <laughs> friends, and they'll all be lost. He'll be afraid. But, uh, no, I think, you know, level of detail, because the, the rooftops are so detailed and the high contrast of the uh, tracery in the buildings tends to draw the eye there and perhaps... It it I think it damages their focal point for the cover a little bit just by just having that nice that really dark tracery on the center building for instance. My eyes want to go there because of the high contrast, and of course the signs are are competing with the foreground on a number of levels, both in terms of the hard edge and the 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 colors. They can they they at first glance that Rita's part of the headdress. Yeah. So Kind of looks like she has a streamer advertising pickles emanating from her head. <laughs> and then, of course, you realize immediately that cannot possibly be the case, and your brain corrects for what you're actually seeing. So but... my, I guess, you know, if, if offering suggestions, I would have moved that center building to the right. And then I think those, that's a good idea. those signs could exist, but they'd be, they wouldn't be competing with her, and they could be pushed back in space a la Drew's suggestions. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, looking at the... Um, the the distant character, the one just in front of those buildings, because of the saturation and the high contrast, she does, as you say, appear to be much closer, almost to be pinned to the wing. 
and there's almost a um, the overlap. The way it's going, it's, it has a certain. Um, I guess we what we call that a merge of the uh, that background character with her in the foreground. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a tangent because they're just in. When it comes to her right, like the characters, uh, that distant character's right hand, it, the way the shapes are kind of flowing together. I can I can kind of see what she's trying to do here, though, and it's, it's actually quite clever. Oh, yeah. I, see. I mean, I see the way that the wing, she's trying to keep the eye on the page, obviously, because she's got a line going along the hair, the end of the wing, up over that character, up the end of her cloak where the wind is blowing it, and then back into the canvas through the flag. So I can see what she's doing there, but it's just not quite having the intended effect. It's reading more as one large mass than as just mm. a line guiding your eye so yeah the value is uh um value and hue intensity should be uh tinkered with here to make it clearer that something is in the background Mm. and i think the color of the light on the flesh perhaps something other than white because i think what we're we're getting there is that um light means white in this particular uh, painting yeah good point I'm I'm um, I'm seeing what she's going for with this light. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to look like, you know, when there's going to be a big storm and there's some gaps in the clouds somewhere, and you know, um, it, it can look really kind of weird and eerie because sort of a one sunbeam will be coming down and standing some people out in stark contrast while this dark wave is rolling up the hill towards you. <laughs> oh, it. oh I, I, I would I say... I completely see what's going on here, but I just think the execution of it um, just could be a little more elegant. But I can... You know, I'm impressed with I'm impressed with the the fact that she's able to convey that kind of lighting. It maybe just a little more refinement to the color of it. Oh, there's definitely good mood to the piece. I feel I feel yeah. it's it's got a strong mood to it. A plus wood mood again. Yeah. So uh, I, we should probably uh, <laughs> go on to the next one because we have really been uh, on this for a while. So want to just say. Uh, I know it know, sounds like we were a little bit harsh, but. Overall, we we're giving this piece a thumbs up. We do, we do like it. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. We like it. We just uh, we had some stuff to say about it. That's, that's right. Well, that's what you get when you have four people. You know, everyone's got. We all have uh, have thoughts on it, which is good. Yeah. You know, I think if we, I think if we had nothing good to say, we probably wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> you know, just, that's right. So, oh, just, you know, this we didn't we, get that submission. <laughs> yeah, so the, you know, this one this one's going right up on the refrigerator. we we like this piece oh yeah well we can move on Um, good show Veronica Uh, we had I have to stop stroking it now yeah yeah (laughs) you know they have a snort Pepsi up my nostrils (laughs) which is another reason I'm giving this deli two thumbs down they said they had coke and they brought Pepsi which is not the same taste oh I'm flavorly disappointed. This is gonna re- this is gonna reflect poorly on the next critique. Yeah. I think we could go on to I believe it was Kim listener Kim Myatt, aka okay. Isivri. Okay. So I, we chose Isviri. I, I feel I feel terrible if I'm mispronouncing. Yeah. It's a it's an odd. Can I buy a vowel? 
somewhere yeah, in there, yeah. you know. Y S V Y R I. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's a very good um, online. It's it's a good online portfolio of mm-hmm. of things. Uh, although. I, I think <laughs> Drew Drew had a really good uh, critique of of just the portfolio interface. Oh, you can go ahead. I'm saving my copy out. Oh, okay. Um, uh, where uh, Drew Drew was just pointing out that some of the thumbnails, you know, it's a it's an interesting format where each thumbnail is a is a, you know the same sort of rectangular size, but some of the choices of what was used for the thumbnail are not very good, and they don't show anything interesting from the picture. And I, I think I need to offer a balance statement to that. They're not the same. The I think, in, actually, you know, in fairness, if he's using a template and these thumbs are probably automatically generated, uh, it's possible that the program decided, you know, probably only selects these certain pixels in the center of the image, and then that's all. That's what it's willing to display. Then it may be that Kevin does no say as to what the thumbnail looks like. <laughs> And apparently, our um, apparently Sokar is being Either attacked by Either she was just ferrets. killed by that spider, <laughs> or that was the well. You didn't hear it. It was funny. <laughs> yeah, the spider went up my nose. <laughs> but luckily, <laughs> luckily you had Pepsi there, which killed it. <laughs> oh, but you guys go on. I'll be back in just a moment. Okay, so we. Uh, we decided ahead of time to uh, critique one particular piece on this page, and um, that was one which seems to be called The King's Punishment. You're so very young, Rhode Island. That's what it stands for. You're so very young, Rhode Island. I can't uh, disagree. You're so very yucky, rude ibis. <laughs> I can't think of a good one. Hmm. Anyway, we're, we're just waiting for Jeremy to come back. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> well, we can start without him. It's Although I, for me to paint over, he needs to have bigger versions on his website. I feel like that's a really valid thing. I mean, uh, oh, there's it, a it is nice. Version. Oh, wait, you can hit a big version. Yeah, you yeah just, just click it. Awesome. I, I have a 660 pixel, a 670 pixel version. Is that, is there? No, no, no click it again. There's click one, it again. Yeah, there's one that's at least a thousand. Oh, well, I will save that if it will let me. Yeah, it will. I'm sorry. I'm an old man who can't use technology anymore. <laughs> so embarrassing. I have but to admit, I, though, like, a lot of, a lot of website designs especially the prepackaged ones, they're so tempting to use, and I use one myself because they're easy. But at the same time, it's hard to find one that's really simple to use and ideal, but I can't fault anyone for not finding one that's ideal because I couldn't either. Yeah. I certainly can't. So we're looking at this picture of a king with a melting crown, stumbling barefoot through a forest of broken gnarly trees and you know I, I like this image because when I look at it I see this picture of horrible ruin he's probably got some kind of curse on his head that's making a crown run down his face it's, um, 
But he looks like he has also determination. He's he is walking barefoot on this uneven, unpleasant gray ashen ground. He's obviously a king on a mission. Um, I, I like this color scheme he's used. I really like the way that he has used lighting to um, not necessarily in a realistic way, but in a descriptive way. He's used it to call attention to the focal points, like the king's face, certain little points he's picked out on the um, <clears throat> woodery. Uh, and I like that he has designed the costume of the king in a way that's quite simple, but um, it's it's also really effective. It um, looks quite regal, but also falling apart. It's, it's just a very well put together image. So now let's say some crappy stuff about it. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that stands out to me at first is the um, uh, anatomy of the character is not quite reading for me. I mean, obviously it's quite stylized, but the problem I'm seeing is that we're seeing him from two different angles at once. We're seeing his torso from pretty much a... Uh, Face on perspective, you can tell this from the way his shoulders are set and his chest is pointed, you know, his nipples are pointing at our eyes if he wasn't wearing clothes. Well, you know, he's, he's facing us directly from the waist up. But then his hips would have to be canted at a really improbable and strained angle to have his legs walking off to the left, like... In, in quite the position they are. And also his legs may not be quite long enough based on where his knees are. So I'm having a little bit of difficulty figuring out where all the part of his body is underneath his robes. Well, I can see and what you're talking about. See, his torso is turned towards the camera while his hips are clearly facing down the path that he's walking. Kind of yeah, a... I mean, and I mean, you could probably contort yourself into a position hmm. where your torso and hips are, are, you know, quite radically canted, but it would show a bit more strain. And he seems to be walking in a fairly, I mean, pained, but at the same time, quite um, non-distorted, natural way. I mean, he looks like he's kind of stumbling along, and you, you probably wouldn't be trying to contort your torso while you're doing that. And, so and like, just... like you mentioned, it still doesn't account for the very short uh, uh, upper legs. Yeah, that's I'm really trying to figure out because you, you, you can just see the bottom of his knee vanishing under his robe. Mm-hmm. And, and, that knee, and that foot is on the ground. It's not above the ground, so we can't say that's foreshortening of his thigh because his knee is up. It's not up. His leg is, looks like it's quite straightened. So we've, there's, there's, some, there's some things I'm having problems figuring out anatomically, but, you know, I can live with it because I like the picture so much. But if I had seen this at the sketching stage and I was the art director, I'd probably have made a comment on the anatomy. Well, yeah, he has this classically proportioned upper body, but then we get into a more stylized lower body. So I think that there's a certain, um, there's a battle there. I do like how, how, I do like the way that the artist has made it very clear he has sore feet. 
You can yes. really feel the pain of his feet. They're swollen. They're, They're swollen and red and gnarly, cut. Gnarly. I, I love that. I love that. And they're too, and they're too big, which normally I would, I would sort of knock if I, if it were just something from out of the blue, you know, you'd say, oh, well, the feet are too big, but I actually like the feet being too big here because they draw attention to themselves. It's not a super realistic world. And the fact that they're so painful looking, I think being too big helps. I have walked a thousand miles in his feet (laughs) and they spread out and it's really grotesque and I like it and I like the texture of his melting crown um, I'm going to let Drew talk about the trees though because Drew mentioned something before the show and no, I that, was, that was Patrick oh sorry I've not been clever at all today <laughs> I just don't, I don't want to steal somebody else's critique so I'm going to stop <laughs> talking now because my mouth went all rubbery from those really disgusting chips well, they were they were good though. Um, uh, I mean, good things you said, not the chips. Uh, the uh, thing I had to say was that the trees uh, have just a far too flat look to them. They look like they've been cut out uh, from a piece of paper and then pasted onto here. They've got internally really nice texturing. They've got really good shapes that are helping the composition of the overall picture plus the mood. Um, the, you know, the trees are the beginning of a strength, but I, I think the fact that they look very flat and cut out is detracting from everything else. And that just has to do with how they're, they're rendered. Um, two things with how they're rendered. The edges are extremely sharp as though they've been, uh, uh, just, uh, selected in Photoshop and then filled in uh, within that selection. And then the other problem is the lighting in general um, it does not uh, give it any sense of roundness. There's wait, 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 hang on one second. Is this Photoshop? I thought this was traditional art we're looking at. I, I have no idea. It looks Photoshop-y. The clouds look like Photoshop. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is Photoshop. And you look at the rest of his work, it's all very digital. Yeah, and that doesn't have to be a problem. Um, all you have to do is go in with something like a, another paintbrush at the end or a smudge tool or something and get rid of some of these very, very sharp edges. And then the other thing you have to do is round it somehow. Usually a, a, a thing that's round like a tree, even though the light is coming from one side, where it falls off at the edge gets darker because it's you know going around into shadow, even on the bright side. Um, it doesn't have such a you know, just dark to light, and then at the lightest point on the left is where it stops. It would go back into a little bit darker to give it a, a realistic um, roundness. And I think that would make the overall picture a lot more pleasant. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is that this artist looks to be influenced by John Jude uh, Palancar. Oh, uh, definitely th- there. Yeah. Yeah. And I th- and if not, <laughs> this artist should look at John Jude Palancar because I think I think they'd really like him. But uh, the way he does both trees and figures is very stylized, but um, 
you could learn a lot from how he uh, renders those sorts of things because they they still look stylized, but they fit into the picture in an overall way that is uh, a little more aesthetically pleasing. Um, there, there's one uh, I think he did. Oh, let me look it up here. I think it's called oh, the two the two towers, where he has a an ant. Uh, in something of a similar uh, style of rendering for the tree. And you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's it. It's called the Two Towers. Uh, and you, you can see what I'm talking about with the uh, the edges getting darker, uh, although it's still very stylized. It's, uh, it's, it's also dimensional and fits in with the overall picture at the same time. So that I might just... I want to um, suggest an alternate solution at this point, just mm-hmm. in case he wanted to push instead the storybook, pop-up book-looking style, which would also be a valid choice. Mm-hmm. Um, the, right, right now, um, I mean, if you want to do something that sort of has that pasted-on pop-up book um, style to it, you have to push it a little bit more to so that we would see that it's deliberate. So you could do this either by flattening it even more and having just a texture with very little or no lighting or suggestion of mass at all, or use some kind of outline, like a white outline and then a black outline to make it look like something that literally popped up and was cut out of a piece of paper with some of the blank paper still around it. You'd have to stylize either even more or not stylize it even that much. But if you leave it in the middle, it can look like an accident. Yes, that's a really good point. I think the other thing would be they'd have to also carry it through to the king. Not necessarily. I mean, it could... Depends what the story is here. Oh, so like if it's a real character walking through a very unreal world. Yeah, like if if he's having... You know, you could use a, a, a visual technique like that uh, to indicate that the character is having a bad dream, you can put a very realistic character in a really weird, stylized-looking environment, and it's still it still reads and it says something about how the character relates to his environment, how unfamiliar it is to him, how unpleasant it is to him. But you know, that's a decision you make. It's something you think about and decide if it's going to be part of your story or if it is not and if it's not then you probably want to push the realism instead very good anybody else it bothers me a bit that his clothing is most tattered above where it's dragging on the ground well maybe that's because those pieces already wore off did you think about that well there's this big solid piece dragging on the ground <laughs> and then there are those tatters so i would i would tatter it all the way and oh, I, I played around with uh proportions a bit making his legs a little longer making his crown a little shinier do you are making uh, it look bad you're making it then, look bad and i think one of the keys to showing someone walking or in motion at all is to have them look off balanced it's very natural it's it's very natural to draw someone with their leg underneath them it's very it's how we learn in life drawing class it's how we learn um uh, yeah, mostly in life drawing class or, or drawing for models for the most part, they're very stable and it feels unnatural to me to draw someone without a solid base. And if you, you look at the way he's drawn the King's feet, they're both on either side of the, the base of his, his neck. So he's clearly stable. He's clearly solid. Uh, but if you rotate his feet a little bit, so 
they're both to one side of his neck, both behind him, then he's necessarily leaning forward. He's necessarily moving because he's off balance. And I think that's a, a, a key to drawing someone in motion. So if you want the king to be moving, you've got to knock that base out from under him. <laughs> Well done. Oh, yeah, true. Um, I've heard walking described as a series of falls. You just keep you keep catching yourself with each fall. So yeah, I can see. I I totally totally on board with that. You know, I think you guys have covered everything I was going to talk about. Really, you know, that was what kind of drew me to this piece. Is that uh, I think the trees what part of a that was sorry. I, Mm -hmm. I just remembered something. Sure. His right hand is much much larger than his left hand, and that that bothers me a bit. I didn't even notice that. Yep. Now I can't wow. Stop. Now I can't stop looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> so it may be that... Uh, so I'll try enlarging his left hand and see if that fixes it. But uh, just as his feet were extra large, one of his hands was extra large. You know, there's a... Maybe it's a, a, merely on my monitor, but I think the... Um, I'm just, just a hair a bit more, slightly lighter detail... To kind of address some of the question marks about the costuming, what's going on in the deepest shadows, which are all taking place at midriff. Maybe it's just my monitor has projected that as really dark. But I can I can see something in there. There's a belt, some folds. I still can't work out what the anatomy is underneath. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, there's a belt. That's yeah. The, there's. The, yeah. The, I get a closer look. Like yeah. His waist is pretty much pointing straight at us. Like. Yeah. Okay. It really makes no sense the legs. You know, actually, you know, looking at the um, the trees, because the, 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 it's very clear to me that he was trying. This artist was going for um, part Kim was going for a very um, naturalistic approach. With at least when you get to the base of the trees, you see hints of root system and the, where the base of the tree is meeting the ground. And I'm kind of. Um, Oh, my little guy is in a little bit. So, Jeremy, I'm going to jump off topic. Have you had a dream about not being able to get your son to sleep yet? <laughs> I had one of those the other night. That was terrible. I was so, t- you know, I'm sure we've all had dreams about trying to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. But then you, you lump on top of that, being tired, dreaming about being tired, trying to get them to sleep. Drew, That's Drew, really brother. a lousy way to spend your I've, night. I, I've lived that dream. I've lived the oh, dream, yeah. you know? <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> no, I've, I've lived it too, but then dreaming that dream is actually It's kind I, of I like... Just love, I just love the way Jeremy just t- keeps talking right over his little man. Like, it doesn't even bother him anymore. It's just part of the general background. It's, it's, at this point, guys, it's just the texture of my life. You know, it's just, <laughs> that's just a reality. But and I'm sorry for our listeners who have to hear that. <laughs> he's actually a very happy little boy, but today he's feeling a bit, uh, a little bit needy, which is understandable. A little when you're 11 months old, you know what are you? But I mean, um, you, you know how some some kids have that really horrible gurgling, shrieking, squealing hmm. sort of cry, and your son doesn't have that. His his crying is on the scale of babies crying. It's on the very low annoyance. Yeah, it's not a shriek. It's not a shriek. It's practically polite. Yeah. Well, what I was going to—the point I was actually going to make about the trees—is that I feel, you know, the, the the pasted on look, for me, really happens primarily at the base, where the trees are sprouting from the ground. And they, you can see little, these individual blades of grass that are attempting to kind of get the idea that there's uh, that they're part of the ground, 
but they have this um, otherness to them. It doesn't, um, it doesn't read. When you look at the base of a tree, for me, what's most interesting about trees is that the, the ground, they seem to erupt from the ground and that the earth almost followed them up a little bit. You know, and oftentimes will bury part of the roots and it will be, you know, sometimes you can't, you almost have to look closer to see where ground and tree, you know, where one ends, the other begins for me. At least that's, that's the way I tend to look at, that's what I see when I look at the, tr- the base of trees, unless they're really expertly groomed. <laughs> well, I, I agree with that observation, but uh, I'd have to warn that if if the artist was going to uh, make them look more dimensional, I, I I'd pay attention to that, but I wouldn't stop there. I oh mean, no, no, no! They look no, pretty flat. I was for the rest I'm merely making that statement too. in addendum to everything you guys have already said. Got it, got it, yeah. But uh, that was just something that was sticking out at me. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, well, what do you think? I mean, this is a really, this seems like an accomplished piece, and we're just a little bit, there's a little bit of, uh, we're going to, some question marks as to intent, but. Yeah, we all like this piece, too. This one also gets thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> On, onward, then. We've done it. All right. We, I believe, lastly, for today, we have new listener. Well, he's new to me. He, he wrote to me the other day. His name is Denzel A. Jackson, and he wait, offered up wait, his portfolio. Is it, hmm? Is it? Is it Denzel A. Jackson or Denzella Jackson? Uh, Denzel A. Jackson. Okay. Could, could, could the last part be more of a description, perhaps? Denzel A. Jackson. It's possible. It's if it's possible. Like Johnson, that would be a lot funnier. Denzel. That's true. Yeah. Denzel He's a Johnson. real Johnson. <laughs> oh, God. In, in the sorry. best sense. Sorry, uh, Denzel. Sorry, sorry, we. Gosh, we're mean. <laughs> We did not mean to make fun of your perfectly respectable. See, you have a middle name, Denzel. Name. You have a middle name. We have a so car. Uh, what did I say? Well, uh, Denzel sent us uh, a link to a, a nice little online portfolio with a number of pieces, and uh, we've gone ahead and chosen one to talk about, and we decided we would choose our consensus favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's it called? I don't have a name on this one. The Burden of, triumph, of Triumph. The Burden, the burden, of, burden of, triumph. of Triumph. Where did you see that? I don't see on that. On the file name because I saved it. So I could... Oh, on ah. the file name. Got it. Good man. So, so, Denzel, number one, put the name of the piece somewhere on the site. <laughs> the caption, you know, the caption. Uh, but, um... for, for anybody looking at the portfolio uh, that we'll have the link to, it's on the top row on the far right and it's sort of purple and yellowish and mm-hmm. it shows a sort of science fiction space quest type scene with some people on a red planet on a really narrow path where if this was a sierra game you'd fall and die about a million times trying to walk up it and there's a guy <laughs> in a gas mask in the foreground there we go and and again we uh i think we all pretty much thought this was the best picture on the page, so that's why we're that's why we're. Or we thought he put the most effort into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, not, want, unfortunately, not always the same. Yeah, good point. <laughs> not always. In this case, it's it's really close. So, uh, who wants to get started? Well, you know, I, I'm liking the depth of the piece. I think where it gets a little. Um, Muddy depth-wise would be in the immediate middle ground, where you have um, those legs sprouting off. You, you have that fallen that fallen victim there, 
uh, if you can just make out his legs and hand. But mm-hmm. because the values of that character are so near to what's happening in the foreground, they, the kind of that character kind of becomes part of the foreground, and a little less readable. Mm. Yeah, so it's, good it's, point. It's, spatial ambiguity is all, but I mean, it's. But so far, I mean, I'm liking what I'm seeing. So I think um, maybe some of the harder edges could soften up towards the uh, distant background. As you go from the middle ground into the background, I think softening of those edges will help. You have this really strong contrast in the um, just behind our main character. You see this uh, stretch of middle ground cliff, and the high contrast of the edge of that cliff and the fire and the the light source coming from beneath. My eye tends to go there first because of that high contrast. And I think I almost would have reserved that highest area of highest contrast for the focal point of the piece. Being mm-hmm. presumably his he's face. Got, he's, got some, he's got some really bright highlights, like the, the guy's eyes are tearing up from toxic gas under his mask. And, and that's creating two little points of very strong contrast on his face. But uh, it needs... I mean, if you take this into, like, the Photoshop and you convert it to grayscale, the overall value range on this, there are... I think he could have been more bold overall with contrast here. Mm, in particular, around mm-hmm. the focal point. And I, I'm, I, one thing I am pleased to see is that um, he didn't resort to this ubiquitous rim lighting that I see going on everywhere. <laughs> you know, oh, that, you don't think I should add that? <laughs> no, I wouldn't add that. <laughs> I think, I, think uh, I, I don't know, rim lighting... It's, it has its I, place, but I, I like the fact that it's not everywhere in this yeah. piece because that's a very easy... That's kind of a... That's sort of a uh, reflex for a lot of artists, myself included. I do it once in a while, too. I, I was actually thinking it's, it's funny it doesn't have rim lighting because the characters going into the background have rim lighting. And the character in the foreground doesn't. If you look at the sort of orange light on the edges of the, say, the hand in the front and then the the left arm, it's almost like he was thinking about it, trying Mm, to do it. It's not ubiquitous. No, it's not ubiquitous. It's professional looking. It's not ubiquitous. I always called it professional looking rim lighting. (laughs) Because <laughs> I couldn't do it Because I was not professional <laughs> So I guess it's professional looking Room lighting If it doesn't look like you just outline stuff With a light color in order to Instead of a dark one In order to make it pop Because you aren't thinking about your value structure Before you started the piece I think he could have planned the values A bit better here In fact I think um, You know um, the areas of of highest contrast aren't, as Jeremy said, necessarily the focal points. And uh, I mean, there's some things he's done really nicely, like he's narrowed the value range receding into the background really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's and he's he's uh, he's on the same with uh, color. He's he's got more variety of color in the focal points. He's I think he just could have pushed it all a bit more. <laughs> It's just, I mean, for me, this piece is a low-impact piece. Well, it's a, it's sort of like a it's a low-key light source. You know, it's low-key. You know, the lighting is low-key, but I'm just thinking. Uh, sometimes you kind of have to. You just have to plan out your, your the mapping of the light in the scene to really 
bring home what's most important. There's a little I bit mean, more planning, me, as I say, you know. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like everything is kind of low-key. Like, um, you know, I'm sure it's fine to have a piece like that, but I'm thinking for this piece, which looks like a really high-drama situation, something should be high-key. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be the value. It doesn't have to be the contrasts no. or the hues or saturation or anything. It, it could be... He could have a lot of action going on in the foreground. He could have, you know, really, you know, anything, anything that makes the focal point different, stand out from the non-focal areas. It can be, you know, it can be tough to flag. uh, Like, for instance, he could have flagged the head with a slightly lighter, uh, with more light coming up behind the main character's head. But then again, you do run the risk of being rather self-conscious in the flagging of of the head. Which you, you can see sometimes it's you can see some artists handle it really well, some don't, and you mm-hmm. see it like they'll just have this postage stamp of white. The only <laughs> the only <laughs> light source like it anywhere in the scene just happens to be behind the head of the <laughs> you know the figure. It's like you're watching me, Jeremy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I would have pumped up the light so, source uh, behind him. I, I've I've got oh. I, I've got one. Sorry, uh, I I have an interesting. Uh, observation perhaps or maybe it's a stupid one um texture texture Mm -hmm. i love the fact there is a lot of texture um everybody should use more texture except the people use too much and (laughs) (laughs) you don't use too much use just the right amount we weren't naming Uh, names so car we weren't naming names we were You named names. <laughs> I think she just wants someone to bite her. <laughs> well, you know, it's been a while since anyone has bitten me. <laughs> um, but uh, the uh, the thing that that's not quite uh, working right is that as we recede into the background on this very nice path, and uh, when it, when I get into it in depth, I'm going to mention that. Uh, but as we recede backwards into the path, we're experiencing about the same amount of texture that we are getting in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. more because the character <laughs> yeah. is actually very lacking in texture, like the the ta- the the. Uh, fabric on his shirt is so smooth with just a few Mm. stitches a couple of wrinkles here and there you know his shoes he's been walking on this very dusty textury path why his shoes look like they're just in the store his hair is perfect his gun is perfect even his pack looks like you know, he's been not, walking a lot, but it's not even beaten up. What's up? Not really stuff? lived in. Good point. I was thinking of just the ground, but you're right. The the character isn't showing as much texture as the ground. But then, yeah, so so control of the texture, I guess, would be a, a, a major area to uh, look, look out for. Um, I don't think there, there would be hardly any uh, texture as we get into the background. And in fact, uh, you know, none of that tiny size so something to watch out for there that that will increase the sense of depth and it will also help uh uh increase the uh focal 
interest, you know, because the more detail you have, the more the eye is going to look into a particular area. So you start adding more textures and dings and dents and dirt to this main character in the front, the eye is going to naturally go to that. Uh, and as you get rid of it in the background, you know, that's going to recede more. Um, on the other hand, there's some nice little details that are observed. You just need to add a little more lived-in look. Like, like for instance, uh, something you've obviously... You, I'm talking to the artist now. Something you've obviously <laughs> done, Denzel, is to uh, pay close attention to things like the little rip on the shoulder. It's beautiful. I love that. Uh, and the, uh, the uh, wound on the forearm, like there's a scrape. Very nice. Love that stuff. So just do more of it, please. Please. <laughs> yeah, a little please. <laughs> One thing I, what I like is that, um, you know, while he doesn't uh, put a lot of texture uh, per se in the clothing, he at least observes the, the reflectivity of the surfaces pretty very well, I feel. I mean, the clothing doesn't read as plastic for lack of texture. It's still, it's, it, the amount of light it's reflecting seems appropriate. You know, if you know what I'm saying? I would, hmm? I would really like to see the shapes of the fabric hmm. be observed yeah. at all. Yeah. It, the, yeah, the concentric yeah. rings around the forms yeah. just are really... Thanks. We really had to get there. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I'll just jump right to it because that's what I've been painting over. Do, do, you, do you view that more as a stylistic choice? Do you think that was really just an unobserved decision? I, I, it seems to me like it's a, uh, an artifact of having invented the pose and the yeah. costume and if all it, that if without, it were, without if it were stylistic. Without if it were stylized, then it would have more truth to it, I think. Mm. That's exactly okay. what I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, usually if something is well stylized, it makes complete sense anyway because the underlying shape and form doesn't make you wonder if he stuffed a hula hoop under his shirt and now he's smuggling it through a size. <laughs> you know, for kids. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I you mean, can look I... at you can look at somebody like uh, uh, Frank Miller, for instance, who's very stylized but stylized in such a way that things look naturalistic. Uh, you know, he, uh, that's a good point. You know, if you stylize successfully, it's going to look truthful, even though it isn't realistic. Uh, and those are three completely different words, stylization, truthfulness, and realism, uh, that can all work together or can be at odds. Basically, you get the shapes right, and then you can do whatever you, you can render in whatever style you want. And, you know, you can distort them up to a point, but it still has to make sense. It has to have some internal logic and consistency. And if you get the values right, you can go almost whatever you want with the color. Yay. Mm-hmm. Let's give him it's some It's all green. about choosing which lies to tell. There Let's you give go. him some green trousers so he totally clashes with the entire <laughs> picture. <laughs> Were you so kind? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I think oh, I, I, was, I, I, was I, I actually kind of like his choice of vantage point of this because it looks like a pretty hopeless situation here with these pilgrims, many of whom are dead or or. or lying down and there's a man in the background holding his head obviously either exhausted or in agony he's like collapsed with his pack beside him there's a debtor right behind this guy and i mean it looks like a pretty hopeless situation and he's chosen a vantage point we're looking down on and we're seeing these people from above so they're 
abject misery seems even worse because we're looking down on them. I thought that was a smart choice for this picture. I would have probably pushed it even more, but, you know, I'm a believer in extremes, so don't necessarily listen to me. You know, looking at, you guys were talking about um, a little bit of telling the story with the materials, you know, the lived-in nature of his clothing doesn't seem to reflect in his boots, whereas at the same time in the shirt he's wearing, you have a tear on the shoulder, but no fraying at the... Uh, at the base of the shirt, for instance, things of like that, you know, I, I'm wearing a shirt, right? You know, I, I've got shirts that I just, I, I work in an office and my shirts look like they're beat to crap. <laughs> you oh, know? know, the shirt I'm wearing now is so worn that you can see my bra straps and it's a wool shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe just further pushing, you know, the storytelling in his clothing, would have yeah. because you know he's got this tattered headband and his hair looks like it hasn't been cut in ages and he's got certain hints of the wear of his uh, of his gear but it doesn't seem to carry throughout. Right. Yeah. Another yeah, thing so. I would mm-hmm. would do again like in in Veronica's piece needing to separate the foreground and the background is I would uh, put sort of a yellow haze pushing that that path even forward even further back and getting mm-hmm. some of the visual noise from the texture down and visual noise from the some atmospheric perspective. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Atmospheric like perspective is is always important. And maybe having like some smoke come up from the lava pits down there, whatever that is, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was definitely going to point point out that we we should probably have a lot more atmosphere coming from down there. Let some some steam, some smoke, something like that uh, emanating from the bottom, and. Uh, We've also got it brighter. We're, we're sort of implying there's something very bright down underneath. I, I'd push that even farther to help with all of the drama and the uh, contrast. I'd push that a lot ration- further. And then you can rationalize your room lighting. Good point, yeah. <laughs> it gives us a lot better uh, excuse for that. Um, can I just say, you know, I, I've just done, I just did about 75 Marvel sketch cards and I rim lighted the crap out of those puppies, man. There was, there was was multiple light sources in every card, you know, well, the, the more comic, the more comic booky you get, the better, uh, the, the more you should do rim lighting or the more science fictiony you get, uh, you know, it, it does push the sense of, uh, genre when you (laughs) add a lot of rim lighting or, or in my case, yeah, in my case, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll add, you know, two or three light sources with different rim lighting. I'm pretty sure I was being lazy, actually. (laughs) Well, Well, it's not, it's not just lazy though i mean it's it's a quick way to define forms in some cases oh sure and it's also a quick way to um to add a lot of drama and a very very easy way to uh again give you shorthand that you're in some sort of a genre universe and so rim rim lighting is good it's our friend definitely (laughs) yay rim lighting one thing I find helpful when I'm working on a picture, especially one like this that is quite complex with its lighting and uh, you really want the atmosphere to nail it. Um, I mean, instead of just, well, obviously I draw, I don't paint, so I'm going to have a separate value study anyway. But um, if you, uh, instead of just doing your value study in a layer underneath the others in Photoshop and then painting over it, so you have to keep, you know, switching off, I guess, the foreground layer that you're painting on so you can see your value study. Um, What I do is I put 
I draw my value study in pencil and I put it, um, I use a piece of blue tack. I tack it to my desk above the picture I'm working on so I can see it and I can see the picture and I know exactly what values that I have to arrive at and there's less opportunity for confusion and lost edges in places I didn't intend them and you know around the feet of this character I'm seeing confusion here it looks like he didn't quite plan where this guy's shadow is going to be how intense it should be so it's like there's a little puddle of shadow around his feet <laughs> doesn't make any sense <laughs> and, um, uh, so by giving your value study there you uh, where you can always see it and you don't forget it just really lowers the muddling. Okay, very true. Uh, and uh, let's see. So I, I wanted to jump in with uh, one kind of weird idea that I've uh, got. It's, <laughs> it's just something that I've found over the years is that it's very tempting to do a picture uh where you, you have like a main color of purple and have your second color be uh, yellow uh, for its complement. Oh, yeah. And that theoretically, it should work great. And it usually makes for a really weak p color scheme, which it I well, think does here. It, it just, it might be a matter of personal taste, but even though purple and yellow seems perfectly, uh, you know, good, it, if those are your two main characters with uh, characters, your two main colors with hardly anything else, it always ends up looking kind of weak. And uh, it's not uh, not the fault of the artist; it's the fault of that being the weakest complementary color scheme. I think. I don't uh, know. I mean, I've seen it handled. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've looked at some several pieces by Todd Lockwood. Seem to do it handle it pretty well. I think that's where you have to have really strong model, a uh, good strong lighting and, and value system in place. Because you can very easily go into the middle tones very rapidly. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile making sure you have your neutrals mixed from those two component colors no, would, if you're doing it. I would it. wonder if Todd pieces, uh, no, not, not knowing them off the top of my head, if they tend more toward gray and just have accents of blue or accents hmm. of purple and yellow to I'd make have to it look feel closer. like a purple and yellow. I think it's most successful if, if you um, don't have, if you don't stick so religiously to purple and yellow. Like I did a, a picture a long time ago when I used to do digital art that had a mostly purple and yellow color scheme. But into the yellows, I also worked a lot of greens and into yeah. the purples also a lot of red and blue so it had much bigger spectrum than this does so, so that, that's kind of where i was going to go with it you, you have to mix in a few other colors to get this scheme to work so maybe near complementary color schemes do you feel yeah. those tend to be stronger in general well, in general if you have complementary colors sure they work but you 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 will want to widen the spectrum and you probably want to have at least one area of a color that is not part of that um, dichromatic scheme near to your focal point because that color that doesn't belong is going to stand out. Like in a picture I did, which I'm talking about, I used, um, I think I used some blue lighting, which 
really had no reason to be there except looking pretty, and it really pulled everything together. Yeah. I, no, that that's true. And I ended up going to the other direction uh, if if I have to do it these days. I learned from long experience of I, I just have never been able to force this scheme to work. Uh, I use a split complement where I start with uh, purple and a uh, yellowy orange, and then use uh, a light yellow for my for my highlight when I want things to stand out the most. So I, I don't use the direct complement of yellow except in a few areas and I stick with a more orangey. But like you say, you could do it the same thing only more greeny and it might work too. But something about the direct complement of yellow and purple just it's hard to get to work. <laughs> so there we go. It only really, I think it works best if you are painting a beautiful sunset. Then for some reason, purple and yellow is very effective. <laughs> Maybe with a pretty mermaid with some sparkling silver and gold all over her. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But it seems like the sort of thing that would work better for a more calm, peaceful, gentle type of scene than this one is. I mean, the picture I did where I used purple... And yellow was a picture of somebody's cat enjoying the sunset. So it, it, it definitely was not a picture intended to have the kind of drama that this one does. Um, I think it's a little, maybe a little too soothing. I, I, I don't know. It's, you know, it's beautiful. And, and, and I mean, there are places where the colors really look quite pearlescent and lovely, but it's... Oh, yeah. It is very soothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it, it just gets a yeah, kind of a sense of gray sameness to it, which is, is I think, has a lot to do with this world that he's drawing, and that's good. Uh, and, the, you know, going, uh, I don't know if we ever plunged into exactly what's working about this piece. What I like about it the most before we... Yeah, yeah I saw some stuff that was working. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, I was totally nice to this guy after making fun of his name. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Um, it, the uh, uh, the way that it that it takes us off into a journey in the background is just really nice. I love a background that gives us the idea we could walk around in this world and we'd have things to find and explore. Uh, so that that is very successful. The entire you know top left of this piece, I think, is is taking us somewhere that we want to be and and as a viewer you want to look at it and then you want to you know get your head closer and look into all these little places and that is always very successful and i also like uh the um the posture and uh positions of the people on the path uh, you know it's a bit uh it's a bit cartoony which which really does fit and they they all have um you know believable uh, body language going on, so I, I, I'm enjoying that as well. And uh, you know, finally, I, I know we've we've touched on it before, but it's a good uh, point of view. the The entire um, you know idea of where we're looking at the picture from—that we're looking down at this character, we're getting the drama of the perspective, and then that also lets us look down into the cave, and it lets us. Uh, really view all the important things uh, that we have to view. I think that was all done very cleverly. And so it's, it's laid out nicely um, with you know, 
an unusual but pretty good composition. The fact that the character is looking back into the picture, I think, really helps a lot uh, to to bring it around. So those those are things that I find uh, very nice about the piece. Um, oh, I should also mention I like the very stylized um, rocks. I, I like the fact they don't look really realistic. Not not the texture. Of, Per se, that that's got a few problems, but just the fact that it's, it looks like it's sort of been almost cut out by hand or gouged out in ways you don't normally see rocks gouged out, and that gives it a kind of an otherworldly feel that that I find successful. You do kind of it. It kind of reminds me of some places that you do see where rocks are in really weird shapes, where it looks like a human being would have had to done it, but they didn't. Right. Like, you know. <laughs> Right. Sorry, I'm being totally incoherent here, but uh, I mean, things like that thing that guy ruined in that national park where he pushed it down because he thought it was dangerous because there were rocks on top of each other. Oh, uh, yeah. Or that place <laughs> where there's all those, I think there are hexagonal t- pillars of rock just standing there and they're just there. Is it called Giant's Pillar or something? I don't know. But there's a lot of really interesting and weird-looking rock formations. So, I, you know, I can, I can buy this. It's, it's, it's not totally naturalistic, but it's, it's something that doesn't leap out as wrong. Sucker, I only have one answer for all that. Aliens. Oh, God. And I should have a really weird <laughs> hairstyle when I say that. Aliens. Oh, my God. <laughs> Aliens. Just, just, just don't. Just please don't. <laughs> just vertically, I have a vertically windswept hairstyle as I say that. Don't. No. <laughs> I know where you're going. I know where you're getting that, and I, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. But, you know, I think we had a really uh, – I think these three pieces that people have shown us today, I mean, they're very accomplished. They're, uh, there's some good storytelling going on in each one. Yeah. And – you know, I I can't say that there were there were no stinkers. Yeah, absolutely. No absolutely, we we enjoyed um, being offered the privilege of looking at and uh, critiquing or offering our um, mm-hmm. questionably valuable insights. <laughs> well, at least I, I thank you for weathering our 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 um, opinions on each yeah. on these pieces because in the end i mean that's what that's what this is these are our opinions and there's you know the work was successful in each instance and it met the goals that you know jeremy jeremy what's jeremy. that what that's just like your opinion man well, well no that's what a critique is <laughs> don't you feel that's what a critique is i mean am i miss i'm just um, being i'm being the big lebowski you're me, yeah, me. We, we, we got a big lebowski quote there you, you I don't. I didn't spot it. it. Didn't spot it. Didn't spot it's just it. Just like your opinion, man. I, I never. I never critique on the Chavez. Okay. So. And, the, and it, that rug really pulled the whole room together. <laughs> hey, hey! What did I tell you? I never critique on the Chavez. Okay. Oh wow, that's right. That's very timely. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman just passed away. So yeah, Is he in that movie? yeah, he's uh, Lebowski's uh, assistant. You know, that's really sad because I don't remember ever seeing a movie of him that I didn't like. And you know, drug addiction has to be so difficult and horrible. Mm. I mean, it's it's 
And then there's a jerk bags on the internet who are like, oh, whatever he died, he was doing to himself. But you know, who of us doesn't do stuff to ourselves that could probably kill us? Like, I ate an entire bag of chips last night. Yeah. There was a point there. I'm totally... Well, you know, if I die of heart disease, then everyone can call into my Facebook and be like, well, she did it to herself. In honor of of Philip Seymour Hoffman, I'm going to dig deep and name some roles that people probably don't even remember him in. Okay. Okay. He was uh, Robin Williams' roommate in Patch Adams. I do remember that. Yeah, see, check it out. We're going obscure now, folks. He was the one of the fellow scientists in Twister. Okay. He played this manic, <laughs> uh, you know, baseball cap wearing, crazy fellow in that movie, <laughs> and you loved him for it. I never saw that movie, but you know, it was funny because. Um, when they were playing that at the drive-in in a city where I used to live, a twister actually came and blew down the drive-in. Oh, man. Did, did Hoffman come in and save the, save the day? No, he no. didn't. Oh. <laughs> Stupid Hoffman. Well, I've thrown down the gauntlet. You guys have to toss something out now. Uh, uh, he was, he was sure. happy. More obscure, the better. How about you win, Jeremy? Good job. <laughs> yeah, well, well done. It was like Robert Loggia. He's in every movie. Name one. One movie he was in that, that didn't get great ratings and not a lot of people have seen, but I, I kind of liked, was called Pirate Radio. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. He's Boogie one of the Nights. DJs. Boogie Nights? Yeah. Well, Boogie Nights, of course, there that was go. one. That Cold was maybe classic, his breakthrough yeah. role. There you go. That was brilliant. Yeah, it was a pretty big movie. But I heard that, you know, at the end of that movie where that guy has that big wiener, I, yes. heard, it, I heard it was just a prosthesis. I was very disappointed. I'm reasonably sure it was a prosthesis. Yes. Uh, the first time I saw it, I thought it was real, and I was like, "That's the magic of movie making." Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, uh, should we call it a day? I think uh, I have to get going. Well, I think we definitely ended on a strong note talking about you know Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, that was the <laughs> yeah. Somebody who has accomplished probably more than us. Oh, oh yeah. Probably yeah. more than all of us put together. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly made more money than all of us put together. So let's just, I guess our next episode, we're definitely, we'll put ourselves under the knife. Yeah, we could. On the firing, on the firing line. Gosh, so if you, okay. if you, so if it was painful for anyone who was critiqued to listen to us verbally rip them apart, they can, Listen in next week, and you know what they can also do? They can also um, submit their own critiques to our blog or on our mm-hmm. Facebook page of the pieces that we will be critiquing of each other's, so they can have their turn putting us... Oh, yeah. Did. Yeah, they can tell us exactly what they thought. Actually, actually, one of the people we critiqued last time um, came by my DeviantArt and told me that my picture of Toad of Toad Hall looked like Java the Hutt. And so I went on Google and I looked up Jabba the Hutt and it totally does. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, awesome. (laughs) Well, before we go, guys, what are you all working on? We'll be signing off with what are you working on? Uh, I'm working on a kids animation uh, thing for iPad and uh, it's uh, like an early reading program with fun cute drawings and 
yeah, as we've been talking here, cool. I've been taking the drawings and putting them together in Photoshop to get ready to do the uh, coloring on them. <laughs> Coolness. How about you, Selkar? I'm just uh, working on some stuff for a couple of shows that I'm in next year. Oh, yeah? and I'm also working very slowly in the background on Mr. Gnarly Pouch Doesn't Like You. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, same old, same old. Drew? Uh, I don't know. I write it down on the to-do list so I don't have to think about it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Drew is the man. <laughs> And, oh, you know, I, I should hmm? step back once and say uh, what I'm also working on these days is finishing up World War Kaiju, my Ooh. comic book project, uh, the graphic novel. It's uh, ballooned from 80 pages up to like 92 pages that I'm not getting paid for. So, oh. <laughs> well, just I, I'm getting, you know, I was getting paid for a certain amount, and uh, then we had to add extra pages to sort of get the story to work. And so I'm uh, I'm working on extra pages for World War Kaiju these days, uh, but it but it's all good because it's looking really 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 fun so i'm i'm very proud of it so far and i cool. i'm diving into lots of different comic book styles as we go through it too so it'll it'll be a fun and jarring experience to read i think <laughs> <laughs> well, what am i working on i've just uh, right now i've got a uh, painting featuring a uh, sort of a my own take on a, on the valkyrie for lands and legends that uh, big art book folks are a lot of folks are working on right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the stuff was due this month, and I kept telling myself, well, "I'll get more time." You know, you get railroaded into a bunch of rush projects, and well, I still have time on that one. Of course, now it's getting down to the deadline. Uh, I don't have time on that one anymore. I better just get it done. <laughs> but um, and it's a good sized painting, and uh, see, I've got some uh, card assignments to do for a couple of games, which is nice. Keeps mm -hmm. me busy. And um, I just wrapped up a bunch of sketch cards, and it's nice to be done with those. <laughs> you get into such a grind with the sketch cards, you know. You just um, and I do mine. You know, these are these are painted cards, and the way I do them, you know, I've gotten down to the point where I can do about. Well, I think I've been able to do up to ten a day, which is that's a lot. <laughs> that's <laughs> a lot. That's a lot of sketch cards, a lot of painted cards. But yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. But. Um, Okay, guys. Um, thanks again to all of our uh, the people who took part in uh, this critique session. You guys were very brave in letting us uh, have at your work. And um, I hope we had some useful things to say. And um, I've been Jeremy Q at McHughStews.com. Drew Baker. Hi, Drew at DrewBaker.com. Soka Miles. At GoreBlimey.com. Patrick McAvoy. And megaflowgraphics.com. All right, thanks for tuning in, guys. Have a great week. Cue the musication. <laughs> Yay! And what was Sokar supposed to say at the end? I've forgotten. I have a chicken finger in each hand. <laughs> Somebody facepalm you. <laughs> Somebody facepalm me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody facepalm me. I got chicken finger in each hand. <laughs> Can't do it myself. <laughs> <laughs>